It's November 17th, 2018. This is the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast, and today Lucio is back. We're going to talk about arms. This is a call to uh, here and before we get started one quick note so this is actually a conversation between me and lucio uh, that we recorded back in august Uh, in order to faithfully give you an episode on schedule even as the holidays happen and even as you know interview scheduling uh, can be a little bit uh, dicey we recorded some non-timely conversations some ice cold takes uh, not really focusing on news of the day kind of stuff but rather on topics that you know refer to things that came out a while ago if we're talking about games or things that happened a while ago or things we're just catching up on uh, this is a little bit of an experiment you know we wanted to see if anything aged out and I think it went pretty well there are a few things we said were about to happen you know soon that now have happened for example we said Nintendo was going to start charging for online play now they do We said uh, Dark Souls was going to come out on Switch. Now it has. Uh, There were also a few connections we were unable to make because, you know, the information wasn't available yet. We do talk about the growing library of Switch games and specifically about games getting a second chance on Switch. And we profess our shared love of Full Metal Furies. But of course, we don't mention that Full Metal Furies is now out on Switch because it wasn't then. So little things like that definitely will, you know, require some show notes. But otherwise, I think this conversation is just as interesting and useful and relevant now as when we recorded it. Like I said, we're trying something new. I think it worked pretty well. Uh, You be the judge. Enjoy. Okay, so... Hi, everybody. I'm a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) you're not a ghost you just you know rumors of your not being on this podcast anymore were greatly exaggerated uh so hi everybody i'm drew messenger michaels i'm lucio valentino and uh lucio exists and is back uh you have we have not done an episode of this together since what the steven universe episode the dark souls episode (laughs) i'm wondering if i'm one extra baby like added to my party now since we did our last uh podcast i don't know if it's been that long but it may be you may have done this a whole baby ago. That is possible. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. happy that we're doing this again. Um, we, by the way, I'll just say right off the bat, have been uh, working to bring you, you know, more good podcastery, but also more consistent podcastery. Uh, we have some cool guests lined up who I absolutely will not announce now. Uh, and we have a bunch <laughs> of topics that we're going to get knocked out between the two of us. So we should be releasing more regularly. Details as they come. I'm uh, definitely you... in a better position now. Yeah, to be more consistent. So. That is yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, you have a beautiful baby, and he, you know, <laughs> when the beautiful baby is brand new, it takes some time. I, uh, I have observed. I've oh not yes, directly experienced. Yeah. So today we're talking about arms. Uh, yes, I'm excited to talk about this one, especially because it seems like I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It came out in June of last year, and I just heard about it from you this year. So it kind of was a, a sleeper hit, not even a hit, just maybe a sleeper. 
Well, the deal, it, it was a Switch launch title. And in fact, they announced it when they announced the Switch. But I think for ah. a lot of people who bought the Switch, uh, Breath of the Wild kind of ate its lunch. It's mm. it's very different in its appeal, right? You know, multiplayer rather than single player and all that. And it sort of uses every single controller gimmick the Switch has its, at its disposal, whereas Breath of the Wild is just a a perfect Switch game insofar as it's good to take with you and play in little spurts. That's uh, interesting. Arms, yeah, they, they didn't even yeah. try to put the like sword controls back in, huh? Thank, thank Buddha and all other available <laughs> prophets and deities. Was that only Skyward Sword? I don't, I don't have enough experience with the last couple Zelda titles to know. Uh, I believe if you played Twilight Princess on the Wii, then you swung, but it wasn't like one-to-one motion controls. It was just that was the same as pressing the sword button in other games. Skyward Sword was the only one with the specific... And they had to flip the game for the Wii version, right? Or something? Yeah, because exactly, because Link is canonically left-handed, and by default you're holding the Wiimote in your right hand. So they, oh, they just man. mirrored the entire image. <laughs> so if you're playing... It's like a Mario Kart mirror mode if you're playing the game on Wii as opposed to GameCube. Um, so that was interesting. Yes, so they didn't do any of that stuff. In, and in fact, you know, ARMS does have button controls. Um, because you need to be able to play it in handheld mode, you can play with no motion whatsoever. Yeah, uh, it does, no, I mean, however, I, yeah. That, that's the fun way to play it. Like, uh, you know, one of the things we'll talk about with this game is accessibility. And, like, my wife, who, you know, uh, it, she's fun to play and frustrating to play, like, traditional fighting, uh, 2D fighting games, because anyone who is into them knows that no matter how good you are, the, 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 the chaotic... The chaotics, the, the the chaos. I'm sorry. The knuckles of, uh, chaotics. Yes, of the knuckles yes. chaotics of um, playing someone who's never played those games before is their first instinct is just to button mash, which is in and of itself just it just totally throws you off in the funniest way. Like you you feel like a new player again until you adjust to sort of the 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 predictable unpredictability of someone who's never played before. Yeah. So I suck at fighting games, and I try really hard not. To button mash and well so it's funny ma- is you the games that have traditionally been better in that avenue like you've done better with like i remember you you don't suck but like the one game i remember where you really i felt were the strongest was like with marvel versus capcom 2 um and that one really rewarded like this sort of weird not really button mashy like you there had you definitely had to have timing but it, the, just because of how fast the gameplay was like rolling your button uh, or your thumb, I'm sorry, rolling your thumb along the buttons a lot really like rewarded you a lot, especially when you're switching between characters. Yeah, totally. And I, you know, I, I used to be good at Smash Brothers until like the species evolved. And now, you know, in order to really be good at Smash Brothers with people who are good at Smash Brothers, you have to be from space and understand all these weird, especially Melee, <laughs> have to understand all these weird intricacies of how dodging Smash, and timing. Smash Brothers is a whole other monster. It's really fascinating. That I don't know if there's really a segue into it for this podcast talking about arms, but there's some interesting stuff to talk about there in terms of fighting game mechanics. Well, the reason I brought it up here is I feel like the impulse of arms, even though the game itself is very different, is quite similar to the idea behind Smash Brothers. So we have not actually said what this game is yet. This let's is do that. A, yes, let's do it. It's a fighting game uh, where... Actually, you know what? You describe it because you know more about fighting games than I do, and I'd, I'd rather have your language than mine. What is <laughs> ARMS? So ARMS is a fighting game, but I was trying... To, you know what's funny? I was thinking about it in the context of the SNES days with um, Super Punch-Out!, and I was trying to mm-hmm. think about, especially in Japan, I don't think we had as many of them here in the States, but back in the days when arcade cabinets were still more prevalent, there were games um, that had very rudimentary motion controls and were, in fact, like boxing games, not unlike what ARMS does with the uh, motion controls on the uh, Joy-Cons. And so I was thinking about whether or not those games, boxing games in that style of like Super Punch-Out and 
whatnot uh, fall into the same tier of a fighting game. And then, of course, the fun there was I was saying, like, well, what defines a fighting game? Because, you know, we've talked about how games like um, or maybe we haven't talked about it in a podcast, but in person, uh, games like um, the Nidhogg and um, Dive Kick are not fighting games, but in a sense, distill what actual fighting games are to its purest form, which is just about timing. Um, so I guess the simple answer is that ARMS is a fighting game. Um, I've yet to kind of see what sort of tournament-heavy play there is. It was really fun to learn uh, the, what little I did about it in terms of researching it. I guess we should say right off the bat, I kind of wanted to approach it as a primary source, so I didn't do too much reading about it, um, I, other than maybe just looking up a few of what the different character functions were. But like one of the things that sets it apart right off the bat is that, unlike a lot of other fighting games, there's not really a, a tier list to be found where different characters have different strengths. It's really about the arms themselves. The characters are more there for aesthetic and for fun, and each of them has like one little special ability that they do. But for the most part, the game is really really kind of hard to pin down in terms of um, uh, like a strict tier list because so much of it isn't just about what arms you use and what combinations and with the number of arms that there are uh, that, you know, the, I, I think I remember briefly reading that the tier list changed literally like week to week in the competitive circuit. Um, so, yeah, I guess for the purposes of my long witted explanation, yes, I would say arms is a fighting game. But what that means is sort of what we're here to talk about. Yeah, so so just as far as what you're doing minute to minute, speaking as a fighting game idiot, ARMS <laughs> is a game where it is like a sort of an over-the-shoulder, third-person, 3D, you're-in-a-roundish arena type thing. Uh, yeah, so then is it so then is it an Armored Core fighting game? Like, I... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like Armored Core meets Soul Calibur. Because meets... what it does that I really like, as far as, you know, distilling fighting games down to their essence, is it really, uh, apologies, by the way, if you can hear a, you know, an ambulance, this is New York City after all that I'm recording <laughs> in. So anyway, uh, it's, it's one of those things where where arms is very much about the loop of landing a punch uh, because all the characters have these sort of crazy extendo arms. So whereas most fighting games are sort of about controlling space, this is sort of the essence that Smash Brothers tried to distill stuff down to. Uh, sorry to keep mentioning Smash Brothers when you said it's not a good point of comparison. But no, I, I think arm- I think it is a good point of comparison. It's just again, it's still you know what the fun of Arms and Smash Brothers is that they are very different from the sort of um, I don't know what you'd call it cookie cutter two D model. Well, the the traditional model, right? And, they, and and the thing is that so arms sort of compresses space because every character has some kind of extendo arms that can reach, if not across the whole arena, then pretty close to it. So mm-hmm. at any time, you're in danger of getting punched by your opponents. There's not sort of this thing where you can hunker down in a space of the board and, and as long as you, you know, maintain your, uh, your, your area, you're basically safe. You know, there, there's no concept of that, nor yeah. is there sort of that concept of like having to approach, which I think is one of the harder things to do for someone who's new at, especially. 2d fighting games like how do you actually get closer without leaving yourself wide open uh, <laughs> yeah there's no uh, there's no diagonal down back in arms so to speak <laughs> right, like, right, exactly, there's not exactly. like a like a i mean obviously that can be exploited too but there's no as you're saying it's just a great point there's no relatively safe zone you know blocking leaves you very open to being grabbed um you know leaving yourself open and even a you know movement you know dashing to the right or left leaves you open to arms that are better at attacking from the sides some are better at attacking from above some characters themselves have um you know those advantages like um uh oh my gosh i can't believe i forgot his name uh the helix dude uh is it just helix uh, <laughs> it, might be, it might just be helix yeah, yeah the um, man who can get who can get shorter and taller uh as his one of his special abilities 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, and just to put a pin in the, uh, or put a cap on, I should say, the customizable arms thing, as you play, you earn sort of different fists or different arms for your characters that have, like, elemental powers. If you block or jump, then you charge up sort of a fire or ice or whatever attack. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every character basically has some version of, of most of the arms. As far as I know, every character does have uh, all of the arms, which is kind of what makes it interesting. I mean, you have to earn them kind of at a right. slower rate. I think there's a there is a mode uh, called Get Arms where um, the character it is Arm Getter. If I may, yeah. you can play as whoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it will actually. But, but I, think favor... it's, I think it's a higher. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah. You say it though. <laughs> okay, fine. Then I will. Uh, fine. Uh, it favors giving you arms for the character you're playing as. So if you mm-hmm. play as, which is kind of cool, because the character you're more comfortable playing as is probably naturally, even if it is just aesthetic for the most part, that is probably going to be the character who you most want more arms for. Mm-hmm. But I was going to say this probably makes it a nightmare as far as the competitive circuit goes, because <laughs> you know it's not just the lack of tiered characters. It's like what what even is tournament mode? Is it just all arms unlocked for everyone go crazy, or is it minimal? the way that a Smash Brothers tournament tends to be? Yeah, I haven't dived that far into the meta. Like I said before, as far as I know, it does change from week to week. I I would suspect that probably as they're going, they'll discover that, you know, um, certain arms are, uh, you know, combined with others or maybe even paired together might have to be disqualified. Um, I, I don't know for sure. Uh, that definitely garners some looking into. And one of the things I think is really fascinating about that is that um, I don't know, you would know better than me, the game's been out for a year. Um, Kind of like Smash, or at least up until most recently, one of the things that sets Smash apart, and which you know maybe sets arms apart, is that um, we've talked a little bit before, again, not sure if on the podcast, about how one of the things that makes it special compared to, say, Street Fighter or Tekken is that there's no kind of balancing mechanic on um, Nintendo's part. They're kind of they seem content when they do their competitive games to sort of let the players sort that out. So in some ways, you know, characters become overpowered or you know kind of dominate tier lists for a while but then someone else discovers something else so with arms it seems to me like this is sort of their most fundamental way of doing that because of the fact that you can have so much custom uh, customization custom ability between characters um and yeah i get the impression that they were sort of wanting to leave it very open-ended because um the game itself is so simple in terms of its gameplay in a good way but then that means that once you have the core mechanics down well what's next it's about figuring out um is ice better you know uh, than lightning is better than fire is better than wind you know what's the advantage to getting your opponent further away with a power attack versus having them you know um electrocuted and temporarily disabled um so yeah, I, I don't know that there's really <laughs> a good answer. I don't know that I'd say it's a nightmare, but it's definitely, um, yeah. You, you, I think, I think it, you definitely have to leave some of it up to chance. You know, you kind of trial and error. Yeah, and it should be said that even the arm getter, uh, if you're just getting them, you know, for yourself in your in your own home version, your home play, uh, it, it is randomized, right? Like it favors the character mm-hmm. you're playing as, but beyond that, you have absolutely no control over what arms you get in what order. Yeah, we we live in an interesting era of data miners, so I'm sure someone could look at it and see, like, if you're this character, maybe there's a higher ratio, like of you know tiered characters, like I don't know, maybe the girls tend to favor the girls or boy, you know, whatever. But yeah, generally speaking, it does seem like it is mostly random. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether or not it's possible to game the RNG, it is it is RNG based. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which which I find honestly, I don't know. I mean, like I'm, I have enough fun with whatever arms I have, so it doesn't necessarily frustrate me. <laughs> but it does, like on a on a philosophical level, I, you know, I personally would prefer an arms 
shop. You know what I mean? Because you, <laughs> you, you you earn a go at the arm getter by paying these like coins that you basically does, get for doing everything. You know? It does. One of the things I do like about it, I will say, because it does. You know, if I want to play something where I, I kind of know what I'm getting into, like that's why there's you know character selections in like Street Fighter and Tekken. Uh, one of the things I really actually liked about that system in Arms is that. Um, it encourages you, this is classic Nintendo, right, to try all of them. Mm, um, yeah. And I sort of found myself just naturally sticking with uh, the first time I played through arcade mode with all the characters, just trying their default arms um, and, you know, messing with them, you know, as doubled up, as, um, you know, mix and match. And so that gave me a really good feel for kind of what they all could do. And a lot of them um, are sort of, I don't know if uh, palette swap would be the, the right terminology, but, you know, they basically do the same thing, but they just have different elements. Or um, I think like in some cases, uh, like there's a triple rocket that um, Springman has as his default, but then another character has one that's, I think, vertical uh, and doesn't quite do the same thing. So, you know, a lot of similarities, but different enough that you, you're definitely getting a feel for how things are going to work out. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So one thing I've heard from people who like fighting games that they don't like about arms is specifically that they've said the characters are not different enough from one another. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel that at all? I, you know, as, as a fighting game guy playing this game or, or you were kind of saying you find it refreshing almost. Uh, I find it refreshing. So it's, it is interesting because one of the things that arms does appeal to me in, is that um, you can mix and match a lot of that. So I feel like I'm being a little redundant, but I'll provide an example. So like if you go back to street fighter third strike, or I guess let's go back even further um, with the original street fighter two, you had characters with um, move sets that complemented their, uh, individual characteristics. So, like, for example, um, Chun-Li back in the day, I think, only had... Oh, gosh. I want to... <laughs> I think she had two moves in the original Street Fighter 2. She could do her quick kick, and she could do her spinning bird kick. Um, but beyond that, she also had a lot of jumping, so it was about kind of mixing up her, you know, quick attacks when you could with her jumping. You had a character like Blanca, and this is my specific example I'm going to get into, who... Um, you know, you talk about your safe uh, diagonal down back. He, all of his attacks were charge, so you were mostly kind of waiting for opportune moments to get an attack in there. But at the same time, if someone was seeing through that pattern and wanted to get close to you, he had sort of a you know um, a fuck button, which was like you just tap uh, his punch as fast as you could, and he would electrocute an opponent. Um, so you fast forward to Street Fighter Third Strike, and then you had a character. Uh, named Necro, who was sort of an amalgam of the character Dalsim, who I should have mentioned, actually, in Street Fighter 2, uh, whose attacks were long. So, like, he was a little slower, but he could attack from, like, across the room. He could breathe and, fire, or he could, like, extend his limbs. Yeah, right? exactly. So he was sort of a range fighter. And so Necro was sort of a combination of the two in a really interesting way, where um, he had the same sort of uh, non-special attack across the room abilities like kicks and punches but he was also a close range fighter when you need him to be he had two grabs uh unless i'm mistaken that could do damage and he also got blanca's um electrical ability for some reason so i think about instances like that where you know i personally think that necro ended up being an overall more balanced character than blanca although i'm sure there are plenty of street fighter purists especially the ones who still play um two that'll tell me that blanca's got the better move set but what's interesting about that is that in these two different games you have characters that i mean you can't mix and match that right you just have it between different generations of the same game where they were trying something a little different to see what stuck and in the case of arms you can do that from moment to moment with character to character 
So to address your original question, I found it refreshing. I think the characters feel different enough to me because what's interesting is that even though there's only like one or two things that makes the individual characters, arms notwithstanding, different, um, it, it really counts for a lot. You you They're feel not small it. things. They're yeah. not really small things, especially when, like you said, the, the essence of the game is getting that punch in. Because, you know, you don't need to worry about, like, three different moves or three different sets of combinations that are going to get the damage you need. You need to get one punch in. And so when you're playing as Ribbon Girl, you notice that, you know, you can, oh, now I can jump three times. Um, When I dash in the air and hold it, I'm going to fall to the ground really fast, and I can get a punch in maybe that way. When you play as Twintel, um, you know, you notice that... You know, you can only jump once, but then when you dash, you can float temporarily and that you slow down incoming arms. And that would seem like it's going to be, you know, kind of cheap or OP or whatever, but it doesn't really give you the reaction time to do anything other than know how you need to respond. And what I mean by that is it's not like it just stops and then you can react accordingly. You kind of need to already be anticipating. It just gives you that little bit of extra boost to, you know, really uh, evade. And so... Um, even though you can mix and match so much, those little mechanics and like the feel of moving your character and then getting them used to the arms, to me, it, it feels pretty significant. I'd, I'd be curious to read more about um, the complaints about the characters not feeling different enough. And that might be from maybe people who have played the game more and so they have distilled the gameplay even further to its most simple mechanics and maybe they don't rely on stuff like that. Um, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm not really sure how to answer that other than to say my personal observations they feel different enough because when the more i'm playing fighting games and i've been playing for a long time um the more i'm realizing that yeah when you get down to it a lot of the characters really function the same it's just about finding a comfort zone with uh how you're accustomed to playing definitely yeah so for whatever it's worth a lot of the takes that i read about the characters not feeling different enough uh were from before the game got patched so for a while they were releasing one new character for free every month or couple of months or something. So, mm-hmm. the you know, like, everybody from Max Brass on is a, is a free DLC character. Um, uh, Misago, uh, the Candy Clown, whatever her name is. Uh, uh, Lola Evil Scientist Lady. Yes, thank you, Lola Pop. She, I actually uh, ended up really like, which was fun, again, because you just noticed, like, you know, she was at the end of that list of characters. So, you know, I was going in order playing the arcade mode. So by the time I got to her, I really enjoyed... Um, how she so her thing like i was mentioning when you dash her thing is if you hold your dash button you're blocking and bouncing around and it was a really wacky mechanic but i actually found to be pretty advantageous in terms of like just throwing your opponent's rhythm off yeah she's chaotic exactly so so like some of them have more chaos than others some of them are more defensive than others Mm -hmm. Uh, master mummy uh, uh heals when he blocks which sort of means you have to be aggressive and get in there or else he's going to get health back. It doesn't happen super fast, but it's, you know, it's yeah, not. Yeah, it's interesting. They, they seem to balance that pretty well because every time I'd fight him or even fight as him, it, it felt like a nice little, I don't know, buff, I guess, but it did, never felt cheap. It's not like it's just, you know, game-breaking. Yeah, definitely not, definitely not. So, yeah, I mean, I, I wonder if people feel differently now that there are characters, not gimmick characters, but characters with much more different things like Lollipop you know, in the game. Uh, the mm-hmm. initial roster maybe felt a little bit less specific. I don't know. And and maybe that was aesthetic too. You know, I mean, like Lola Pop is more aesthetically different from the rest of the roster than, say, Springman is from Ribbon Girl or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although um, Helix is pretty aesthetically different from just about, <laughs> you know, all of them and, and is barely human. And yeah, it's <laughs> kind of... Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean... That I mean, that's one of the really the, the core things of the game that drew me right away was the aesthetics. Like the music is fantastic. Um, the character designs are really fun, and um, 
I mean, for for my money, each character stands out pretty well against the rest. No, no one really feels. I mean, other than um, Springtron, but I, that seems to Springtron seems to be there just to kind of ape the traditional fighting trope of like the evil main character, the evil version of the main character. Yeah, he's an is, evil robot version of Springman, who is sort yeah. of the you know box yeah. art, well balanced. Yeah, type evil of evil Ryu, Robo Kai, uh, uh, Ogre. I mean, yeah, like yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Which you know, it works devil fine. and that. So that's the other thing, right? Um, th- this is something I find totally fascinating in the case of ARMS. Fighting games tend to have stories, actually pretty detailed stories that are not really part of the gameplay, right? Like like we've talked a lot that's about Dark Souls. That's always been really bizarre to me, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, because like we, we praise Dark Souls for pretty precisely that, right? That there's like a peripheral story going on that is reflected but not necessarily told in the gameplay. Mm. Fighting games have been doing that forever, sometimes to totally ridiculous lengths. And, and ARMS is no exception, right? There's a lot of supplemental material about like what Ribbon Girl does with her free time and Twintel's movie career and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that... You, I mean, you ver- you definitely don't have to know any of that to enjoy the, the character right like the animation and the way the characters feel unique but uh like did that suck you in at all or or, or maybe start here do you generally care about that stuff in fighting games period <laughs> um it i do i do it gives the characters a lot of personality and i mean that kind of affects characters that you end up playing as i mean in my experience um you know a lot of hardcore uh competitive gamers fight gamers will um kind of gravitate more towards the most efficient character for their needs and so i think for them it doesn't matter but i think for a more casual demographic it's definitely um a factor you know i remember when i was younger i was always tended to gravitate more towards uh ken versus ryu in street fighter because you know ken felt you know like you could argue that he was sort of the 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 knockoff uh palette swap but he definitely as the games continued on uh developed a more distinct flair more distinct style Ryu was a very good kind of balanced character, uh, kind of like, you know, stalwart and pretty medium strength and definitely more effective in the hands of a beginner. But the fun of playing a character like Ken was always that, you know, once you got him down, like there's a reason, you know, that one of the most famous, you know, fight game videos is a Ken player taking down a Chun-Li player in, uh, in Evo. And uh, that's the advantage of a character like that. And that's, by the way, um, a professional fighter named, uh, uh, oh my God, I'm going to forget his name. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, he favors uh, Ryu, typically. But for whatever reason with that game, he gravitated more towards Ken and his abilities. Um, this is so, that yeah, video like, where Chun-Li is doing like the, the flurry of, of exactly, kicks, and he's blocking yeah. every single one individually. Uh, Ken has no health left, and then he uses the mechanic of that uh, series of Street Fighter Three, the parry, uh, which was <laughs> a very counterintuitive um, thing to include, which it, it's funny. It was such a gamble, but I think time has shown that it was, uh, it was well worth it because it's one of the most... Uh, side of sort of iconic um, fight game mechanics, which was you would hit forward right when you were about to get hit, which was a far departure from holding back to try and be safe. Um, so yeah, he's using that to great effect in that video. Yeah, and so like Diego, this was interesting to me. Like I saw that the first time I saw that video, not being a big Street Fighter three guy, like I've played it with you and and gotten my my ass handed to me and such. But I, you know, I don't know it intimately. I I could see that it was impressive, but I had to have someone explain to me what exactly was impressive about it. Like anyone yeah, can look at it and yeah. see that something really cool is happening, but the exact thing he's doing is not necessarily legible. Um, I wonder if Arms is more legible. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, th- this is again something that's true even of Smash because it really is just like even when they're doing crazy positioning stuff, like you can still see, well, it's, it's that guy got behind, you know, that guy's Fox got behind the other guy's Fox. I'm thinking of this last Evo Mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and, you know, got him. Like, it's as simple as that. 
Uh, Arms, I think, maybe is even more readable because it's just like it really is about who's connecting which punches or grabs when. Yeah. There aren't, yeah. I, you know, what's funny. I, I don't. I should watch. I'm, I, I'm going to because I'm, I'm more interested in this game and I really have grown to love it. Um, in what competitive arms looks like, because when I'm playing it, definitely, I would argue that it actually one of the disadvantages of the game, as much as I love it, is that it kind of has a steeper learning curve because there is such a basic fundamental, um, architecture at its core, which is like you said, you have to land that punch. So a lot of the times, if I'm not landing a punch or if I'm missing a punch or if, you know, my grabs aren't connecting, if I think I'm about to hit someone right before they get off their super and interrupt it and I don't, that stuff is actually a little harder to read, I would argue, as a player, just because your toolbox is so small that sometimes it is hard to kind of figure out, well, what was I doing differently? Whereas, you know, when you're playing a more traditional fighting game, you know, going in like, oh, I used, you know, a heavy kick instead of a light kick or I used a, you know, I tried to get an accommodation instead of using my super. Um, there, there's more tells in general because um, there is more information to sort of parse. And so I don't know if... Uh, you know, a more casual or beginner would agree with that. I don't even know if an expert would agree with that, to be honest. But my experience is just that when the toolbox is bigger, it's a little easier to sort of figure out because you can immediately start, you know, um, kind of by process of elimination, figure out what's going wrong. With arms, it's like you either punched or you didn't. So figuring that out has a lot to do with the spacing and especially in a 3D over-the-shoulder um camera setup it can be a little hard you know in terms of like depth perception and was there a reason that you know when i activated my super i got punched out of it versus when i thought i connected um that makes it a little harder i would say actually uh, i don't i so i yeah as a i haven't quite been, made it to being a full-on spectator yet so i'll have to get back to you on that one and say whether or not it seems easier to read that's fair. Yeah. I mean, like I, the, the other side of that coin where you're aiming your punches is that as a new player, you can you know be playing this fighting game and never have a punch connect, which mm, is unusual. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, even, not 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 that it's getting blocked, not that it's getting parried, whatever, that it just is hitting nothing, yeah. <laughs> which is like, you know, not a great feeling. It didn't it didn't last too long for me, but there was this kind of wee bowling feeling of like, I know where I want <laughs> this to go and I don't know how to make it go there. You know? Yeah. And um, and it, and it was it, it's interesting because. I having done both now, I can definitely tell that probably more competitive uh, arms players are using the controller. Probably the uh, the um, what is it called? The Pro was that the one? Um, yeah. The Pro controller because there's just more responsiveness. But it is interesting to me that um, I did feel like I had more accuracy with um, the thumbs up mode, which is where you're holding the Joy Cons, just because you know you twist your arm and you can kind of feel like how far to the right or left you're going intuitively. Um, whereas, you know, when you're using two buttons and one joystick to control the, you know, um, direction of both arms, that feels a little less intuitive because I'm not always sure if I'm controlling the, you know, the, the first arm I punched with or the second arm I punched with, or in the case of the, um, uh, I don't, I, I'm assuming you've probably noticed this by now that when you, um, you know, go for your grab, if you're using the thumbs up and you spread your arms, you widen, um, your, your grab, mm-hmm. um, area. But I think it slows down a little bit versus it's going faster when it's more narrow. But then obviously you have to really hone in on your opponent. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, there's a lot of little things like that that are excellent, which which sort of brings me to another topic, which is just the the fit and finish on this game is ridiculous. I mean, mm-hmm. like it's it's clearly been play tested to high heaven. It's a really you know, it, it every single choice revolves around making the core concept really fun the characters sort of like inhabit this completely bonkers reality that just came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, it's, sort it's of inexplicable, very... right? Like, I guess I, I, I'm sort of like 
flirting with the idea of this being a sort of like horrific like body <laughs> horror kind of world, but in a positive way where people mutilate their arms to participate in this sport. Like it, because Twintel has both her arms, but everyone else does. It, it's do- yeah, Doctor Twintel, Coil yeah. has coiled arms, so she has arms, but the arms wrap around her arms. <laughs> <laughs> Twintel's arms, quote unquote, are her hair. She's got these mm-hmm. braids, and she actually her her regular ass human arms are intact, and she like, like sips. Tea and how is she controlling her hair then? Did she mutilate her mind? I just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I th- this has been an interesting strain in some of the more recent new worlds Nintendo has created. I mean, there's a fair bit of body horror in Splatoon, like because <laughs> what those characters are is like, are they squids that turn into kids or kids that turn into squids? They're were squid, I guess. And like they're uh, Splatoon two toned it down, but in Splatoon one, there were all these like, um, like, like just these frames of animation during the transformation that were like pretty scary. <laughs> it's like, it's that sort anim- of like uh, that sort of gentle, like adventure time post like post-apocalyptic aesthetic where everything's very cutesy, but kind of masking this really horrific backstory. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, and, and in fact... To be clear, I love it. I mean, that's one of the things oh, I yeah, enjoy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the game doesn't really attempt to explain that. It just is, which, you know, um, if there's one thing I've seen in terms of, you know, whether it's, you know, superhero narratives or video games, when you try to over-explain something or really just... It, it just becomes boring. But when you get kind of just dropped in, uh, what's the expression you use in, in Medius Rex or uh, in Medius, Medius Rex? Res. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's really it's just kind of satisfying in its own way. You don't need that explanation. You just get to kind of jump in and have fun with it. Yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, you know, I don't like over explanation either. I um, I I kind of cherish the unknown. Uh, to quote a podcast, the, the, there's this podcast called "I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats." It's <laughs> the guy, uh, the the Night Vale guy, Joseph Fink, and John Darnielle, the Mountain Goats guy, talking about storytelling and whatever. And you know, there's they talk about their shared love of not having all the information, which mm, I love yeah. too. I do, however, love it when you take some, I don't know, some piece of fridge horror or some specific corner of the world <laughs> and flesh it out. So like the Splatoon 2 DLC. In Splatoon, you're these these uh, uh, squid kids, you know, uh, inklings, who, you know, like in the single player mode, you're fighting the octolings, who are these like octopus people. And the Splatoon 2 DLC, you're playing as an Octoling, and it's like, oh my god, like, the Octolings are this exploited, Morlock-like underclass, and have been this whole time, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh and it's it's super dark, but it's, like, it's really effective. Um, yeah, Nintendo it has been wild lately. They, they do some of their best work when they're coming off a period, where they're in or coming off of a period where they their backs were against the wall. Yeah, and, I mean, it was a yeah. bit of a tangent, but I think it's worth explaining in terms of, you know, just, yeah, when you get games like Breath of the Wild and ARMS and... Um, and, and, you know, uh, Splatoon kind of in succession. Yeah, like, they must have really been affected by, you know, the Wii U sales and just sort of the, this, I don't know if it was just sort of the unknown of the future, but, man, they, like, I don't know if it was, like, just don't give a fuck, but, I mean, I've really, like, Breath of the Wild blew me away, and then ARMS was just a happy little treat. Like, um, I sort of, you know, kind of bringing it back a little bit, I play fighting games more out of habit than out of... um What's the word? I guess out of I want to say necessity, like it's my job to play video games, but it's really not. But what I mean by that is that you know I grew up playing video games so much. I mean the sheer number of hours I have logged on Street Fighter and Smash Brothers Melee, and you know a lot of other games in between. You know every iteration of Tekken, um, Soul Calibur. Uh, you know I wrote an article on Skullgirls, uh, which I loved. 
so much of my life has been about fighting games that I kind of just buy them out of habit because I never I never don't enjoy them. Although I do find them compelling to varying degrees. Like Street Fighter Four, I kind of never got into the way that um, a lot of the really competitive community did, and I actually really enjoyed Five for all of the reasons that the competitive community hated the the transition to from uh, to Five from Four because Four was all about um, the really high tier mechanics. Uh, you know, people who who have to commit an egregious number of hours to this game to even begin to, you know, maybe see bottom level competition. Uh, whereas five really tried to find, I think this home between that level of competitive gameplay and, um, uh, like, you know, the original street fighter two, where more of the mechanics depended on, again, bringing it back to arms timing and, you know, simple attacks and, you know, back then, special attacks were more of a gimmick, and now they really are such a core part of the gameplay um, that you kind of forget what it's like to play a game where it is more about timing and the sheer thrill of that. Like, you know, just the number of times you and I played Nidhogg and just how fun <laughs> it was to, you know, the, the, the just how hectic it would be to land that one hit and then just run for, like, a screen, and then, you know, you get pushed back and forth. And, um, yeah, ARMS to me in terms of like looking at this period of Nintendo really taking a risk. I'd like to see more companies doing that because Skullgirls was such a great, um, I don't want to say like, like epitome because I think there's still further to go, but it, it really took the sort of, um, what do you call it? Three V three kind of style of gameplay mashup. Like, you know, Marvel versus Capcom, Capcom versus SNK. Uh, I actually still haven't played Dragon Ball fighters, Dragon Ball fighter Z. I don't, I don't actually know what the official name for that one is. Um, but it, it's to me, it's still the purest form of that because it was it was just such a product of love that you can really feel it. And then um, in the case of ARMS and hopefully maybe games beyond, whether it's Nintendo or others, I'd like to see people look at the formula and think about kind of, yeah, more outside the box. How can you not necessarily having to make like a game like Dive Kick or, you know, Nidhogg where it is so simple. Not that I'm saying those games are easy to play or even easy to compete in, but you know, the exhilaration of it is really just in getting good, for lack of a better term. You know, it's like, because yeah, yeah, yeah. you can feel your progress in a very different way. Um, you definitely hit walls in more traditional 2D fighters. I mean, I'm curious because you because you play, you know, fighters with me growing up, especially. So did, do you know what I'm talking about when I say like you hit walls and then you know you can either commit, you know, X number of hours again to getting over that, or you can just kind of accept that that's where you've landed, uh, versus with a game like arms or, you know, Nighog, you can tell like, it's really, you're kind of as good as you'll always be. So the fun of it is just kind of honing that. Does that kind of make yeah, sense? Do you know what I'm completely. talking about? Completely. Yeah. Yeah. I, in my, that's a really good description of it. In my head, I always thought of it a little differently, which was that in street fighter, pretty much any street fighter, someone who's been playing for five hours is playing a different game than someone who's been playing for 50 hours. It's more like chess in that sense. And mm -hmm. maybe only that sense, right? That like you, you those walls <laughs> yeah, I are. Yeah. I don't know. I would argue it's a bigger <laughs> comparison than that. Yeah. 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 No, I, I think, I think the, the analogy goes precisely that far and no farther. Uh, but, but no, just like those walls are points at which you need to like fundamentally think about the game differently. Like the, the way that in chess, you have to start like just studying other people's strategies and memorizing mm -hmm. them at a certain point. There's no amount of your own I, screwing around that gets as a little, a, a little tangent. Can I just say how much it broke my heart when I found that out? I, I legitimately grew <laughs> up thinking that, that, that at least some small part of kind of like, maybe just cause I grew up listening to jazz and like, you know, jazz is always my go-to as like sort of the king of all genres. I always thought that chess just always retained even just the slightest bit of improvisation. And then when I started talking to people and realizing like actually chess is really just 
who can like if, if there is any improvisation to be spoken for it's who can switch from one proven strategy and game winning play to the next that really broke my heart because that meant like wow the people who are the best players really are just they just memorize it <laughs> and i mean well, i mean yeah this is precisely why computers can beat us at chess but they write shitty jazz <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But anyway, you were saying, I'm sorry. Yeah, so no, no that's fine. No, but I, I was saying stuff like, uh, you know, I, I, it's, I at one point in my life would have said Smash, but but I would definitely say ARMS. What makes it somewhat unique is that someone who's been playing for five hours is playing the same game as someone who's been playing for 50 hours, albeit playing it at a very different level. In the same way that if you look at competitive Nidhogg, the level of precision is way above anything I'm capable of executing. But <laughs> it looks more like somebody speedrunning Mario Brothers or something, right? Where I understand every input, I just couldn't do it nearly that well, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's, With I a lot of the other games, different. yeah, you're not even really understanding the input necessarily. You're yeah, just you, have, of... you have to be at a certain level to even understand what you're looking at, you yeah, know what I mean? To understand yeah. why it's impressive requires a ton of domain knowledge. This is actually, I think, something really interesting about esports, right? Because maybe the, the customizability can make ARMS uh, a challenging sell for certain kinds of the, the esports players. But I think for an audience, there's something to be said for the fact that it is more legible. Because I think what holds a lot of esports back from greater mainstream appeal is just how much knowledge of the game you need before you can even understand what you're looking at. If you're watching mm. competitive League of Legends play or StarCraft or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's probably just like sports in that sense, because I mean, you know, different games have different sorts of uh, intricacies in terms of the rules. Um, I understand most of basketball. I understand a lot of baseball. And to this day, no one can explain to me American football. I, I still don't. Like, I, I'll, I'll sit there and I'll nod politely, and I will understand that when the guy runs to the other end and he dances, he probably did something really good. <laughs> but, I mean, to listen to these people who talk about, you know, oh, the defensive linemen, and oh, you know, this guy... Because for me, it just looks like 15 minutes of gameplay stretched out to an hour, and I don't understand why so much strategy is involved and that's just so me being, that. that's just me being that. completely ignorant but i mean no that's... no no well it is and it isn't right i mean like what a three hour is that how long a football broadcast is i I, th I, th I think a However, full game is each quarter is 15 minutes so it's like an hour no not even it's like 30 minutes i don't know it's crazy it's, well, <laughs> but but the point just being there's some statistic that i will look up and put in the show notes that in a let's say three hour broadcast of football you see 14 minutes of football or something, something like actual like yeah, people playing <laughs> right and that's because a lot of the game is in the the coaches figuring out what the next play is and the execution is in terms of time if not importance is definitely you know a relatively small part of the game which makes it uniquely friendly to commercial breaks which is why it took off in the u.s you know like a big, from what I understand, a big part of why what everyone else calls football, but we call soccer, never took off. That's in the why. US, that's why I you... said American football. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm just yeah, being, being clear. To quote what's Trevor what... Noah, we are the ones who are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's John Oliver has a line about that too. Like every time someone uses the word soccer, a British person dies. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, so so like that's is less friendly to quick breaks and that's that has to do with the requirements of commercial broadcasting in the united states where we need to be able to stop and sell you soap really really often see and i assumed uh, it was just because you know old people love world war one and world war two stories because football to me is basically like a war of attrition i just it's yeah no, you're, I mean, you're, it you're is, doing yeah. so much for like literally yards and to be clear <laughs> I I, I, i'm really not shitting on football i'm really just drawing the comparison that i obviously don't know like if anyone listening to this is mad at me they they rightfully should be because i don't know what i'm talking about and that's kind of the point we're trying to drive home that to enjoy football you need all of that information and if you don't it just looks like guys standing around and then they run at each other for a foot and they all fall down and then they reset and that why 
<laughs> right, right. I mean, even even something like th- that is exactly the point, right? If you have that knowledge, then you. So, so maybe this is another good point of comparison too. Um, we have we have one friend who's really into baseball, and he's also into stat heavy RPGs. And I'm surprised that those things don't overlap more, <laughs> right? Because the thing about baseball, it makes perfect is, sense. It made more sense the older I got. I was like, oh yeah, that's exactly yeah, yeah. I buy it. Yeah, because it's like with baseball, you can make sort of meaningful statistical comparisons between different players, teams, whatever across huge numbers of years. And so like you can watch a game of baseball and understand like, you know, the dude hits the ball and if another dude catches it, that's bad for the dude who hit the ball. Like the basics are straightforward, but like the intricate, like I went to a baseball game just recently and like all, like I did not understand basically any of the numbers that it was showing (laughs) under the player. Like I understood batting average, like that was clear enough. But beyond that, it was just like, what is this even measuring? (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? You're watching a different game to a certain degree. If you understand that stuff in the same way that if you get what kind of decisions are being made about plays that you're you're watching like wizard chess or whatever, like then football starts to become another game entirely. Yeah. There's something. So I mean, to bring in this analogy back to your point. Yeah. Like that's, that is one of the cool things about arms. Like when you first showed it to me, I immediately understood, more or less what was going on even having never played the game myself um because you know we do have that sort of uh history of famous games like you know punch out um where you just at least understood that you're going right or you're going left or you're blocking and that's you know it you know intricacies of the different arms and play styles of the characters notwithstanding it's pretty clear kind of what you're seeing um in a way that would not be for someone jumping into like competitive street fighter or or even God, Tekken must be a mindfuck for someone who's only ever seen Street Fighter. Just given the, uh, have you ever watched a competitive Tekken match? Uh, yeah, Was, I, I they... become acutely aware of how 3D that 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 fighting space <laughs> is when I watch actual professionals play because I I do not navigate that space well. Um, and man, the people who really know how to use it, it's it's crazy to watch. There's this, yeah, there's this this very, uh, it looks like dancing sometimes, right? The way they're managing the 3D space. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're just like dancing around each other thing is kind of fascinating. I watched you a can, bunch You of- can watch 20 seconds of gameplay and not one punch is thrown. It's just like yeah, you said, yeah. it's just about the space. <laughs> yeah, it almost looks like Olympic fencing or something in that <laughs> sense. Like, um, yeah, I mean, I watched a bunch of Evo this year, uh, the big fighting game tournament that happens every year for, for people who don't know. I, I because I knew we were talking about this. Yeah, I, I, this was like the first year I didn't really follow it. Yeah, the only thing I watched all of the finals of was Smash Brothers because I um there's a video that I watched a while ago. Which what I are they even playing in Evo now? What's the official? Uh, boy, I would have to look up everything. There is Tekken, I believe Tekken Seven. There are. Oh, I meant specifically Smash. for Smash because because with each iteration, one supplants the other. Like I said, Street Fighter Five supplanted Street Fighter Four, which made a lot of people mad. So there's still four Street Fighter Four tournaments, but they're not like they they gotcha, don't go gotcha. to Evo. Yeah. So Smash is in an interesting place where at Evo they do both Smash Four, the Wii U Smash, and Smash Melee, and Smash Melee and they skip is considered... Brawl because of tripping, probably right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brawl is nowhere to be seen for I think entirely that reason. <laughs> um, maybe roster reasons as well, but really just tripping. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, in Brawl there was this weird silly mechanic where sometimes you would just trip. I don't think it was really based on anything, right? It was just random. Uh, it's totally and random. It, it mixed things up, but obviously highly competitive players hate the shit out of the idea that they're just <laughs> going to trip for no reason. Yeah. So Brawl doesn't really become a competitive thing. So, like, there is both... Which, to my mind, it would have made it more interesting. Like, if you're a highly competitive player, isn't it kind of fun, that little element of danger? I think it would at least be fun, you know? Like, yeah, obviously you might get screwed out of a win, but if you kind of had to train to anticipate that, like, I don't know. It just... Anyway... That, that's my own. Well, I mean, bias. it's what I was. I, lo- I love. Is it's Brawl. a lot. It makes it more like reality. 
Like, you could just yeah. have something dumb happen to you in the real world. I mean, like, obviously you try to minimize that by, like, manicuring the surface people are running on and stuff. But, yeah, but I don't know. I mean, maybe that's what's appealing to people who play esports is that it is frictionless cubes bumping into each other, right? Like, it's optimal conditions to just show skills. That's why all the, the items are turned off in competitive Smash, which is not how I would ever play yeah. Smash while drunk I, with friends. Yeah. I do like playing it that way, but I like both. I mean, to me, I, I, I like the full gamut of fighting games, which is probably why I like ARMS and I like, you know... Uh, Tekken. It's just, yeah, it's, it's yeah, a lot well, of Yeah, well, so I, I do actually want to fully answer your question about Smash at Evo. Because oh, yeah, sorry. It's interesting back, yeah. as regards ARMS. So Smash is in an interesting place where they, they folks compete in both Smash 4 and uh, Smash Melee, which was the GameCube one, uh, for anybody who is not intimately familiar with Smashes. But Smash 4 is like a, a lower tier event, right? Like Melee is the main event as far as yeah. serious Smash people go. They only play on, you know, like GameCube controllers. And I think even the serious Smash 4 players mostly play on they GameCube controllers. They will all play on GameCube controllers. Uh, no yeah, no one plays on anything else. Maybe an occasional pro controller, but no, yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, when they announced Smash Brothers Ultimate, they announced that there would be an accessory to make GameCube controllers compatible with the Switch, right? Like, that's important. And that's exactly what they did when uh, 4 came out anyway. They made it accessible with the Wii U. And they even sold limited edition GameCube controllers because of the um, popularity of them in that game specifically. Exactly. So, Melee is a really interesting game to me in the sense that part of what makes a lot of the very top-tier strategies possible is that it's never been patched. Like, a lot of the things that top-tier players do, and you probably know the terminology better than I do, Mm -hmm. but my understanding is that a bunch of that stuff probably wasn't intentional in the game, and if that game came out today, it would probably get patched out. Yeah, the most prevalent one that you probably saw in action if you were watching competitive play would have been the Wave Dash. That's the most well-known kind of... Could you briefly describe what a wave dash is? So a wave dash in Smash Brothers Melee is uh, basically the effect of sliding across the ground on the stage by... um, So in fighting games, especially in Street Fighter, because Street Fighter... So it's funny because the original... So Street Fighter 2 has had a lot of different versions, which I guess back then when they were selling different versions, each with a cartridge, that would have been like the equivalent of a patch. Um, Or DLC or something. All the things you couldn't do back then. Yeah, exactly. Um... Although, so the, Street Fighter, I, I should say, really quick aside, Street Fighter, Street Fighter 4 still did that in the age where it could have all been DLC. Like, they still yeah, released... Yeah. yeah, and 5 still kind of does that at a, you know, and Tekken a little bit at a uh, at a diminished cost for people who already own the game, which is borderline sketchy, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, honestly, that, that gets into the element of it, which I don't know much about, which is uh, development. I don't know how much you have to continue paying people to continue working on the game, so I, that that's sort of a can of worms to me. I've never really gone down. Yeah, I'm sure um, adding a new character is a ton of work because, you know, to not unbalance the game. Is, yeah, you know. exactly. And so, uh, but anyway, so so yeah, the wave dash is what you probably would have called a glitch and to your point might have been fixed, which was, uh, so canceling. When the canceling is a common glitch in fighting games where um, one attack can lead into the next by interrupting frames. So uh, as just a regular example, let's say um, I mentioned earlier, there's different tiers of punching. There's like low punch, medium punch, high punch. Um at any given point, there's usually a gap between how quickly you can go from a regular punch, like let's say low punch, to a medium punch. Um, some characters have what are called um, cancels, which is where uh, an animation, whether it's the sprite or the 3D model, uh, while they are performing one move, there is a pure window in which you can uh, activate the next move. And so the first hit will technically register, but then go immediately into the next hit. And so that's a way to take advantage of like really devastating combos with certain characters, especially at a professional level. 
So in the uh, so that context is just to say that the wave dash in melee, which is probably the most like I said well known um, exploit, is when you and I've never been able to actually do this is when you you jump and then at the exact moment that you're beginning your jump animation, you dodge um, kind of down diagonal so that it basically looks like your character is like really quickly like sliding across the floor, and it's one way in which because the um, the dodge is registering while you're moving. Um, you can avoid being grabbed. You can avoid being hit. But then, because you're not actually rolling, which is the more, uh, which is the way that they intended, you know, for you to escape attacks, you can immediately then go into a counterattack. So, does that sound familiar? You probably saw that. I'm, I'm assuming, but that yes. tends. I to mean, be I, so the... I've I've heard I've seen it a lot, and yeah. I heard it described in a video that, like I said, I'll link. Uh, a... My description might even be wrong, but that's how I've always had it explained to me. Yeah, no, that's that's my understanding as well. So if if we're wrong, then at us, people. Um, <laughs> Scream I, really loud. I should never say that. But yeah, no, if, really, though, if we're wrong at us, because I'd like to understand it better. But but that is something that, as far as anybody can tell, was not supposed to be in the game, like was not intentionally put there. Mm-hmm. And it seems like a, a classic example of something that is absolutely key to high level play in that game. But that probably, you know, you you have to like go back to version uh, you know, you know, 1.0 or something of the game if it were a game that, that got patches in the same way that some speedrunners have to, like, if you want to do the fastest Dark Souls 2 speedruns, you have to take out the patch that made the, the uh, oh my god, what's the, the central temple? The, the little shrine, shrine of winter? Is that what it's called? The thing that lets uh, you just skip You know more that. about Dark Souls 2 than me, man. Oh, you still haven't played through that. Anyway, there's a, there's a... <laughs> That's a whole other... There's a midpoint in the I, game A where... video popped up that made me think of the other day that basically said, in defense of Dark Souls 2. Not that I, like, hate Dark Souls 2, but I remember you mentioning that a lot of people were kind of hot and cold on it <laughs> the reason you got that is because i sent you something else in prep for our next episode uh oh which, is that why <laughs> yeah algorithm? that's that same guy the <laughs> so algorithm you know what video i'm talking about <laughs> i know exactly the video you're talking about um anyway that was that was a tease people um so <laughs> we're gonna be talking about avengers infinity war in a future it's episode. in revelations people <laughs> Yes. So all that to say, it's pretty common in the speedrunning community to to go to a certain patch version and say like, well, this is the best record for if this glitch is possible or, or just in general to say, here's the record glitchless and here's the record with glitches or, or no major skips or things like that. Um, are fighting games similar or, or, or is it because <laughs> because the games that make it to Evo like like the people, the, the developers that make these games and the publishers tend to be pretty involved in the event. So I would imagine, with the with with notable exceptions like Melee, these people are competing on the the most recent patched version of these games. Is that generally true? Yes. Something like um, yeah. with when it comes so with some exceptions. So obviously, I don't I forget how official because as far as I know, Evo has kind of like a maybe, and I could be totally wrong, but I think my understanding is that the same way that, um, um. Sports like, you know, Major League Baseball, um, NFL, NBA, the way that they kind of have preseason games where people are playing, but it doesn't necessarily actually factor into the um, the real, you know, uh, scoreboards, tournaments, finals, etc. Um, I think people still get together like kind of pre-Evo and play some of those games. So like, for example, Third Strike, as far as I know, um, the official version of Third Strike that was used at Evo 
even when the home console version existed, was the arcade version. The only reason I know that, or at least I remember that, and I think I remember that, is because uh, I love the Third Strike soundtrack. And I remember that whenever I would watch professional uh, Third Strike com- competition, the soundtrack was always the original MIDI recordings versus the cleaned up, um, uh, like like full on uh, remastered recordings that made it onto the home versions. Um, so all that to say that that's kind of what's interesting about fighting games. So there's definitely back in the day when we had physical iterations of each copy, there were people who would like, you know, this was obviously pre Evo where, you know, tournament play was more like, you know, a hundred guys from maybe the same state that would meet up and play just for, you know, the, the communal sense of it. Um, it, it really did depend on what version you wanted to play. Maybe you were better at champions. Maybe you were better at turbo. Maybe you were better at, um, you know, whatever. Um, in fact, I think this year or last year, uh, I know we're, we're in the 30th anniversary of street fighter. They released, uh, like street fighter two final or something, which like added evil Ryu and violent Ken. And that was sort of supposed to be like the penultimate version of street fighter two. That would be like, you know, official sanctioned gameplay, but I'm, you know, again, people can ignore that because other physical copies exist. It gets a little tricky now because like you said, everything is patched in real time. So I'm assuming that most tournament play is like the most recent version. And it's interesting how that affects the, the meta of the comp, you know, the, the competition, because a character that you're amazing with, if they get, you know, nerfed, then suddenly you either need to switch uh, characters or you need to figure out how you can make your character viable again. This comes um, up a lot with MOBAs as well, right? Before major yeah. tournament, if, if a patch drops too close to a major tournament, then you know some character becomes less viable. That that can weigh throw off the balance of power since different teams use different characters. In rare often. instances, I want to say characters have been outright banned, actually. Um does that usually happen if they've been patched recently? That usually happens if there was like kind of what you were talking about, some unforeseen glitch, like and someone discovers an exploit and it just even you know, every uh professional uh every professional gamer can use that character then to that advantage without um like for example, someone who's never played as Ken, let's say something slipped through. If then every character could play as Ken and you were seeing you know, the top eight were all Ken versus Ken. <laughs> and it was just whoever could, ex- that character would probably be banned from there on until they fixed uh, the patch or maybe even prior to once they realized that was happening. Um, but now it's kind of interesting because yeah, that so I remember with street fighter five. I specifically had that happen with me because when I first started playing, I really, really, really liked Armika and I got really good with her. And one of the biggest things that you could do with her that was, uh, maybe an unintentional exploit or maybe Capcom just decided they didn't like it uh, was because, you know, in a 2D fighting space, the edges of the screen are not always the edges of the screen until you back up far enough that the camera won't move any further. So in Armika's case, she had an ability where you could um, grab your opponent and then kind of fling them across. And then if you dashed backwards, you were bringing the camera with you which meant you didn't have to have them in the corner to sort of, uh, I forget what it's called in wrestling terms. Do you know? I mean, you listen to Beat the Champ a lot. It's when you throw <laughs> someone off the rope. Is that the, the is that just the rope-a-dope? Or do you have to hit them before that's technically the rope-a-dope? I thought rope-a-dope referred to something else, which was to let your opponent get tired while you were just oh, walking. Oh, and then... oh, see, that's what I'm saying. I, I, my terminology is terrible. But anyway, the point is you would bounce them off the edge of the screen, and then you could combo into several other things. And Mika's advantage was that, yeah, since you could control the camera space, um that was a huge advantage to people who played as Mika. And it wasn't game-breaking, which was what was really interesting about their decision to take it out. Because after a major tournament, they did do a patch, 
and then they um, implemented a system where the input for that backdash had a longer delay after you did that grab. So you could no longer take advantage of that exploit. Mm-hmm. So um, your original question was, I, and I mean, this, this podcast is talking a lot about arms. I'm curious to see what they'll do with arms. They patched it once so far. They've patched it. Well, so every new character was a major patch version and also mm. included some balance fixes. And then ever so Nintendo is famous for uh, its unhelpful patch notes. The patch notes will usually <laughs> just say something like adjusted balance to give you a more pleasant gameplay experience or something. Right. <laughs> um, they're, you know, and I, I think that's been changing a little bit recently, especially as like they, you know, they now have a, a division called Nintendo versus that does like, you know, social media outreach to the people who play their games competitively and stuff. But I did not know that they've been, they've been a little bit more sort of casually focused in terms of their approach to patch notes for a while. Mm-hmm. And part of that um, is just wanting there to, I, I think they maybe. Uh, there was there was some received wisdom in old school game design that you wanted to keep the patch notes secret because you didn't want to inadvertently direct people toward new exploits. Uh, yeah. I think over I think over time that has generally been thought to be silly because people are going to figure it out anyway. In the age where every roguelike that comes out has a fan wiki ten minutes after it comes out, <laughs> or usually before it comes out, you know people are really good at reverse engineering. You may as well give them the information, and that way you'll fix all the actual exploits faster. Uh, I think Nintendo, you know, in, in Nintendo in a lot of ways doesn't join the present quite as quickly as everyone else. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I don't know if it really answers your question, but I would say that. With arms, and honestly speaking to kind of a more general philosophy, I think I would just like to see more fighting games take their time with that. It's hard because so much moves so quickly now. Um, I'm speaking, of course, you know, sort of uh, philosophically, but also just in terms of what we are actually talking about, that there's not really time. You know, people are adding characters in a lot. You know, the the video game market now is very DLC-focused, so it means that if you're going to add something new, as you said, you have to kind of go back and retool and rebalance and um, figure out the beauty of melee and then i'm hoping that they'll do the same thing with arms i mean if i I don't know how popular arms is really so i mean i don't know there doesn't seem to be a model built into the game to make them money so they're probably done with this one unless they decide to do a sequel but what i like about it so far is that then that provides the opportunity for um i guess things to continue going forward as they have been like you know tier lists to continue getting kind of turned on their head um people who really enjoy the game to find new ways to use arm combinations with different characters uh, again with to varying degrees of effect depending on how much you buy into characters um being a major influence on skill level um but yeah I, i'm bummed that more games don't have that sort of mm, that cooling off period where people really get to you know experience because because, yeah, the joy of Melee was that, you know, years after the fact, people were still discovering new things. And um, the characters that sort of were at the top of the list for a long time moved around a little bit. And, um, yeah, like I said, I'm not 100% sure that answers your question. but um, No, it was good. And, by the way, in, so that I'm not slandering Nintendo unnecessarily, uh, the patch notes have gotten way better for ARMS. So, you know, version pa- uh, patch version 5.3 is all just, like, quality of life stuff, UI stuff. They added mm-hmm. some images to the gallery, that kind of thing. But 5.2, there's, like, a whole list of, like, you know, they, like, uh, you know, Lollipop got buffed and, you know... Gusher Blorb, that must be one of the uh, arms, got debuffed, right? Uh, oh, so, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like, they, they are actually pretty transparent about that stuff now. Um, and as far as, like, whether there's more in the future, Nintendo's approach to DLC has been super interesting. They've basically just tried every possible model. Uh, so, like, 
for example, you know, Splatoon 2 had a year of free updates, more than a year. Uh, you know, they just they continually add weapons and, and uh, stages and stuff like that. And then there was also a $20 DLC pack that contained single player stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ARMS so far, every single update has been free. Um, Smash Brothers on uh, Wii U and 3DS had an absurd amount of relatively expensive DLC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know they they uh Mar- you know Mario Kart 8 had just like one DLC pack but then they also released a deluxe edition when it was time for Switch you know cuz cuz you know cuz that creative period that we're talking about actually started you know the latter day Wii U games were all pretty great too which is why they're all now coming out on Switch but in that period they started this weird process of experimentation where they're they're just trying every possible model i wonder if maybe they're now settling into a slightly more predictable one because like breath of the wild you know they released a bunch of little things for free and then there was a the big expansion you know? i don't know how they're gonna follow that game <laughs> i wow yeah i mean it, it, it hurts to think about whoever's job it is to you know sit at the planning board for the next zelda game i think it's the same team i think fujibayashi is directing again i think ayuma's uh is uh producing again i think it's a lot of the same folks uh, so yeah, it's just like, I don't know it's, what it's, you could do, man. Maybe, maybe it has to just be the, like the sort of inversion. It's just one really big temple where you can literally interact with every single thing you see. I, I don't know, man. Like it's <laughs> breath of the wild yeah. is nuts. I mean that the, to the, uh, it's a testament to that game that, you know, with a 30 year franchise, this one feels like the difficult second album. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's crazy to think about. Um, and I don't know, like in a weird way, I feel like like whatever they do next with with the arms thing is similar like it's hard to imagine what you would do with a hard i mean it's not hard to imagine what you do with a hard sequel you'd have more crazy characters with crazy arms but it's like it is such a fresh beautiful thing like i I guess what i'm saying is i always really enjoy when nintendo is willing to just try something crazy and i think things like arms or Skullgirls benefit quite a bit from not having the I mean, I guess I'll use the word baggage, right? Of of having franchise yeah. expectations yeah. and a whole bunch of characters you have to repeat, but still make meaningfully different in some way. I mean, didn't you say to me that the whole idea with Street Fighter Three originally was to not have Ken and Ryu in it? And the that... original idea of Street Fighter Three was to not have any of the original characters. It was to have a completely new set of characters, like unrecognizable to any of the players. Which I mean, that that idea rules. But they they I guess what they, they realized was yeah. <laughs> once you call it Street Fighter, you can't do that, right? Um. You could make just a new fighting game series, but yeah, I'm trying to think of any franchise that has done that. And then um, let, let's do this as an aside. Then I did want to ask you a question. Just remind okay, me, yeah. uh, Splatoon Two and Arms. Just just okay. say that to me to remind me where I'm at. But, but yeah, is it like is there any franchise that has sort of completely, I don't know, nuked its expectations? Because I mean, we even you know briefly we we talked about how it's funny because I made the big jump of like I remember you brought me to you know, your house when I was a kid and you were like, look, this is like legend, you know, links, uh, what was it? Legend of Zelda, uh, link to the past, probably link to the past. And I was like, okay, whatever. And I made it like maybe 20 minutes in and I was like, can we just play Mario? <laughs> uh, and then years later I played Ocarina of time and I was blown away. And then years later, still, I went back and played link to the past and realized that everything in Ocarina of time was there. Like since that, like even to the, the Ocarina, like I had no idea that how I had no idea how much like Zelda, you know, Legend of Zelda, uh, like kind of like you said, up until before Breath of the Wild was just like remix after remix after remix after remix. Um, so yeah, like can can you even think of any franchise that has done that successfully? <laughs> like yeah, I mean, well, so what carries over 
changes a lot franchise to franchise. I mean, like Final Fantasy, you have a, a pretty entirely new cast of characters every game. That's part of the hook. But the core gameplay is always recognizable, isn't it? I mean, like, yeah, like that's... Well, but but so I guess that's my point, right? Even if they'd followed through on their, their grand, ambitious Street Fighter 3 plan, it still would have played like Street Fighter, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like nothing carries over. But I, I can't think of an example of what you're talking about other than, I guess, you know, some RPGs that are more like, you know, repeating myths or whatever, you know, like Final Fantasy, yeah. where the whole cast of characters gets thrown out. And even Final Fantasy, you always, you know, there's always a Biggs and a Wedge, and there's usually a Sid and that kind of thing. And there's always crystals and, and Moogles and, and all, all those kind of things. Yeah, because like, what you're talking about is that expectation. And so, like, that's kind of built into it. I mean... Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, like, could you do... I I... I remember before Breath of the Wild came out, we had this discussion, again, offline, sorry, folks, uh, <laughs> about how if you wanted to really surprise people with Zelda, you would almost have to make it unrecognizable as Zelda. That just knowing what the hookshot does takes the joy out of finding the hookshot, because it's just like, oh, now I'm going to do the hookshot stuff again. Yeah. Um, it's like, uh, you know, like Metroidvania-style games work best, I think, when the first time you see an obstacle that you can't uh, uh, get through yet, you're not sure how you're supposed to get through it. If you're just like, oh, that's an ice door, I need the ice beam, then it's you're just making a checklist, which can be fun, but is not interesting, right? Yeah. yeah. That element is... And in fact, that's sort of what Breath of the Wild did, right? You've got those runes that sort of function like bombs and things, but are still a bit different, you know, so you're not finding dungeon treasures. Like, they shook it up in that way. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, like, you get it all at the beginning. They're, yeah, totally. So you don't need to worry about that sort of, I guess, uh, that element of suspense, because... You have everything, so the joy is in now discovering how it works and how it functions in that world. Because yeah. you, because everything is not as clear. I mean, I, I, maybe I'm a, you know, I'm just basic, but I remember playing through the game for hours, and I would be stuck on something, or I would just be curious, and I would, re- oh yeah, I can make a pillar in water. Like you would actually forget because you get everything at the very beginning, so there's no kind of built-in, you know. Uh, rail system or you know linearity that's just like hey look there's you know here's some water oh you're gonna have to find something to use it oh and you're gonna have to use it non-stop for the next you know uh x number of hours of gameplay and then by then of course it's just ingrained in your head it's like because you got your whole toolkit from the beginning you had to actually remember you had that in your toolkit yeah, and there's so many ways to solve each puzzle that, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, or or to deal with every situation, I should say. They're not even all built puzzles that you can, you know, get through the whole game almost without making pillars of water. There's usually other ways to do stuff, right? So, like, to me, the reason that the Switch was so exciting from the jump to kind of bring it back is, like, Breath of the Wild and ARMS together are about the two most exciting things a really big established publisher can do. To do something really interesting with a long-running franchise or a long-running, you know, set of ideas on the one hand. And then on the other hand, it just put out some crazy fucking thing that came out of nowhere that I, I believe ARMS, <laughs> ARMS, it was either ARMS or Splatoon, it may have been both of them, were like, you know, some of the last things that uh, that Satoru Iwata personally said, like, yes, proceed with that. Because mm-hmm. uh, he, he, I guess, like, right up to the end was all about like, no, 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 we need to just keep trying stuff. We need to keep introducing new things. Because I guess like, you know, Splatoon and ARMS are, are recent, but before that, Nintendo hadn't done like a, a straight up new universe or whatever since what, Pikmin on the GameCube, I guess. Oh wow! Um, unless, unless, unless you know, there's a Wii Sports extended universe, and that counts. But well, yeah, maybe you're right. Which predates the uh, or which I guess is more recent than the other? Uh, Pikmin or the uh, Animal Crossing? Animal Crossing, I guess, was a one-off though. Was there a sequel? Oh, dude, there have been several sequels. There's, oh, okay. Fact, well, see, that shows what I know. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm ignorant when it comes to that kind of stuff. <laughs> no, there have been a bunch of Animal Crossings. Animal Crossing does predate Pikmin, however. Yes. I think. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, so Pikmin Animal- still would have been the most recent, yeah, to your point. Yeah. 
Hang Dang, on. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, they, they got but, gun shy about doing it for a while. And I get it, because, like, with Nintendo, you can do your, your you know, third and fourth tier characters and still just put out sequels forever. By the way, yes, I'm right. The first Animal Crossing was an N64 game. So that does... Okay, Because the first so, Pikmin was but, a GameCube yeah. game, yeah. Um, there's, yeah, there's an absolutely bizarre Animal Crossing mobile game now. The, the My favorite one is for 3DS. So, yeah, that's a long-running series. Pikmin, there's just been the three of them, although they're all quite good. Um, so... You were supposed to remind me, but I reminded my I remember. I was about um, to do it. Hey, man. <laughs> um, no, so my question was for you because uh, you have more experience kind of following the trends, and we're sort of talking about ARMS in as, as a fighting game. Um, you know, so we've kind of touched base on what that means, what that looks like, why is ARMS unique, what makes it cool. So given what we've just talked about, you know, establishing new sort of worlds, franchises, etc., I mean, do you think Nintendo is going to continue on? Do you think that they'll uh, they'll just continue to build onto the arms base game, or you know, like what we have now? Do you think they'll do a sequel? Is is there space enough in the you know, in terms of what they could do creatively to take it further? I, I'm not sure. Like, I'm curious what you think. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I mean, like, a, if you did a sequel the way that that fighting games traditionally do sequels or, or, or I guess this is interesting, right? Like is street fighter three, the sequel to street fighter two, or is one of the <laughs> millions of, you know, of blade runner style, you know, true versions that street fighter two has, or those, the sequels. Cause I think yeah. if you just did like an expanded version of arms, you know, at this point in history to our, to what we've been talking about, just do some DLC, right? Like do a big substantive, like here are some new modes and a bunch of new characters and like keep the game going. Um, that's probably the way like big games are moving in general is just like keep you playing the game you already bought and maybe buying more stuff for it for a really long time. Mm-hmm. I feel like Nintendo's in a place where if they were to do like a, a true sequel, they would want it to be something more like the jump from Street Fighter 2 to Street Fighter 3, where it is like quite different, you know? Um, Nintendo's in yeah. an interesting place where rather than simply like re-releasing a lot of the big hits from the Wii U days, they've been making expanded versions or sequels to them, right? Like Splatoon 2 is kind of in that space. Smash Brothers Ultimate is kind of in that space. It looks a lot like Smash 4. It's just got every character ever. You know, like it's a it's yeah. a vastly expanded version of a game we've already seen. I mean, speaking of fighting games, that that's going to be interesting because as the, the roster's grown, I don't know, man. Like, I, I don't know. How, I'm curious to see how well the game is going to hold up because when you have such um sort of smaller and smaller differences between characters i think this one's it's it, they said like every character so that means you're gonna have link toon link kid link uh maybe dark link i don't know uh like was dark link ever a different character or was that just a no skin? i think it might have been a palette swap yeah. but i mean you know and then when i mean yeah i'm just i'm just curious about like at some point you hit saturation because that's the other thing about fighting games in terms of balance like the more characters you have the less interesting it is to play with different characters. I'm going to mm-hmm. see if I can suss that out. So, like, one of the, again, the selling point for ARMS, you have characters that are mainly different by aesthetic, and the fact that they're not that different is, to me, actually a plus, because then it really does come down to play style, uh, how you play with your different ARMS combinations, and it sort of encourages a diversity of character play. One of the things that I'm not a big fan of when it comes to especially um, uh, professional play is that you tend to see the higher tier characters more and more. And that doesn't mean that everyone is playing the same characters, but it does mean that when you're just so overwhelmed with you know options, I feel like you're less likely to gravitate towards something you would 
um, naturally or to try everyone out. Like, I'm, I'm kind of having a hard time putting up, you know, my finger on it, but I like that arms is more stripped down. Street fighter five was actually my favorite when it had, gosh, I think 16 characters because for the first time street fighter felt sort of compact again. And every character at that point did feel very different. And as characters have been added on, um, you know, I think on the one hand you do see a, a, a wider variety of people playing, but at the same time, you start to see again that overlap and arms sort of gets a pass on that because of the fact that each character can use any arms, but it gets a little exhausting when you have different characters themselves functioning in very similar ways. I don't, I don't know if that distinction is clear, but no, I hear to, you. I hear you completely. I, I mean, cause it, cause it sounds like I'm saying the same thing when, you know, like you can be, you can, when you could, for example, be like spring man or, um, ribbon girl and have the exact same arms then you know your the counter argument might be well that's you know that's almost worse because then you're literally the same person but you know at least you're wanting to be two different people versus like you know sagat versus sagat or you know chun li versus chun li and who's the better chun li and you know, I, I don't i don't know I, I i could just be i could just be being totally nitpicky and you know no, I hear but. what you're saying. I mean, it, it goes to what people like about these games. This was the reason I wanted to ask about the stories of fighting games, which you can play fighting games for thousands of hours and not care about at all. But, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, if you've got the same arms but you're different people, like, people don't just pick their go-to characters, their mains, whatever whatever you want to call it, because of the numbers and the frames and stuff. They do it because they have some kind of attachment to that character, at least sometimes, right? Maybe at the tournament level you're, you're cold and instrumental about it and you pick what works or... It's a it's it's more of like a tool or something like that. But certainly for the the average player at home, you have an emotional attachment to the character. And I think what Arms does super well is makes you identify with and get attached to the characters. You yeah. Know? But it's interesting to me that like after all of the because you know Arms launched with ten characters, so after all of these big patches that added new characters, it ended up about where Street Fighter Five was at its most stripped down. <laughs> because yeah. and that's interesting to me. Well, I mean, both in my opinion, games, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, well, whether it's better or worse, it was more streamlined, more stripped down, right? Yeah. But what's interesting to me is both of the games, I think, both of those games, Street Fighter V and ARMS, when they launched, people assumed there was more coming, right? No one thought that was the final roster. So, like, yeah, that makes it extra yeah. interesting that the number Street Fighter V started at is the number that, at least for now, ARMS has ended up at. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I would, that, that is a interesting observation but that's another um, weird thing about melee right when you got melee that was all the melee you were ever going to melee when you meleeed in your melee but yeah, now exactly. there's sort of a you know and this ties into nintendo's you know big plan and just the the expectation of if especially if you're going to charge for dlc you want some substantive free dlc as well that games are going to change over time that the game you get on launch day is not the game you should expect to have in a year you know even if it's not as extreme a change as like I heard someone say, like, can I get my money back for Team Fortress 2 since I paid for a shooter and now it's a grindy Korean MMO? Uh, but, <laughs> but, um... It's hats, man. It's got hats, it's got boss characters, and, you know, all, all that kind of shit. <laughs> Sometimes games change radically, you know? Uh, Rock, Paper, Shotgun actually does a series of articles where they, they ask the question, like, has Game X been improved by its patches? Mm. Um, and I find that super interesting, right? Because, like, the answer is not universally yes or no. Um, and sometimes it isn't really either. It's just that it's it's actually become a different game over time. Um, to go back to your previous question, I think, you know, in Nintendo's perfect world, everyone who had a Switch would own ARMS and yeah. would keep playing it and finding new stuff about it for the next 10 years. And we, so that's, you know yeah, what I mean? So that, 
Yeah, and I, yeah. So because now you've got me thinking about trying to how to say it. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't even know if Arms has a future. I really enjoy it, and it's funny because so much of the life of games now is affected directly by how many people are playing it. Um, in a certain way, like you know, I I don't know too many people personally who have a Switch, so it's not like you know when we were kids growing up and like you know your friend, you know who you could hang out with, you know, maybe every day, maybe every weekend, you know, you guys both played the same game and could play it together. Now we're very much kind of, uh, the, the, the model is, you know, online play, not always co-op play much to our chagrin, but you know, you need other people to kind of sustain a community. And, uh, because of how much money presumably goes into servers and, um, connectivity, like if everyone, like if, if the, the, um, the fan base for uh, arms falls off, then the game sort of dies. And that's something that's interesting too to think about in terms of like, you know, when you're buying a game because you have to consider what is the life of it. Kind of like the same way you were saying if you buy a game now, you kind of go into it knowing, oh, well, there is more coming. You also go into it thinking, well, but how long is it going to last? Which is, I think, that this is a total aside, but probably why a lot of people were kind of initially upset about the announcement of Destiny 2, right? Yeah, totally. Well, it was it was an expectation thing. It was because originally Bungie announced Destiny as a 10-year game, as yeah. though you're going to still be playing Destiny in 10 years like World of Warcraft. And and so, you know, to, for there to be a Destiny 2 that carries over your character's appearance, but really nothing else, and is in the same world, but you start... Like, it, it it's not that it isn't what they described. It's just definitely not what people pictured when they described it. So, yeah, yeah I mean, like, to, to your point... There's like both supply and demand reasons why no game is going to last forever, right? On the supply side, this is why Nintendo commits to, let's say, a year of updates when a game comes out, right? There's going to keep being new free stuff for a year. That's cool, not just because there continues to be new stuff in the game to try out, but because if it's a game where the other players are the gameplay, because you need PvP, this is more true in Splatoon than in ARMS. Like, you know, ARMS has an arcade mode and couch co-op and whatever. Splatoon mm-hmm. really like lives and dies by there being people to play matches with, right? When you release new stuff, people are going to come back to play it. So it brings the boys to the yard. Uh, so, you know, when you're committing to that time, <laughs> I understood that to there being a likelihood that people are going to stick with it. Right. Eventually, that team has to go make something else. If you want there to be new games, especially if you want there to be crazy new new games that aren't sequels to anything but are brand new ideas, that team's got to go gestate those new ideas at a certain point. Right. Yeah. Um, and then on our side, on, on let's call it the, you know, the demand side. There's only so much room in our hearts in our days. You know what I mean? Like, we, you can't be playing everything at once. Yeah. Um, there are too many games that go on too long. Like, you've got to pick and choose a little bit. I mean, like, we're still playing Destiny 2 sometimes. I'm still playing, like, whenever there's a Splatfest, I play Splatoon and I play ARMS. And, you know, like, I, I juggle them well. But I also play way more games than the average person, you know? Um, yeah. I will say this for the Switch is just, like, having this giant library of games that are fun because the switch is becoming a little bit of a phenomenon, uh, you know, in, in a way it's sort of like, really like very likely to it. see one when you go over to a friend's house or something. It has happened a couple of times that we've been over at a friend's house and we've been playing switch. And then we've sort of like, you know, we're done with whatever game they had and I have my switch in my bag and I pop it on their dock and Hey, look, now we have 20 more games. Um, I feel like the switch is maybe bringing that kind of house party aspect back a little bit. Um, I don't know that that was even intentional. It's just a result of its success. Uh, but you know, there's, there's, there are definitely 
some indie games in particular that that I'm going to be playing for quite a while as long as I bring stuff over. Right? The Jackbox games are th- are you know, pretty uh, much everyone yeah. loves. Um, I was playing Overcooked over at a friend's house recently, and Overcooked Two just came out. That's the co-op, you know, line cook game. Uh, because this, you know, like if if we get to a point where the Switch completely dominates the world of games and everyone has a Switch dock in their house, then it's super easy to just like pop them on there and split up the Joy Cons and and play. You know, even if yeah. you're not being like the the Switch commercial and putting it on the bar and you know whatever, like people's houses. I don't know. It, it the Switch does feel like it's bringing that sense back a little bit of like. A shared so, expectation that there are certain games we all, if not already play, at least would be interested in trying, you know? Yeah. So did you answer my question? Do you think ARM specifically <laughs> has a future? Like, I, I don't even mean that in a sort of, like, a cynical way. I'm, I'm sincerely curious because I like the game, but it occurs to me that I will, will we still be playing it in a couple years? Will there be a sequel? Will it sort of be a one-off? Um... It's, it's just speculation, right? but I'm curious because you because you know Nintendo, I think, better than I do in terms of the trends. So yeah, well, I guess the the reason I was talking about their current uh, tendency earlier uh, to to release expanded versions slash semi sequels to Wii U games is because Arms is kind of a special case in that way, right? Like Splatoon was a late era Wii U game, uh, Mario Kart Eight was a late era Wii U game. So again, the approach is a little different there. It's Mario Kart Eight Deluxe. There's no pretense of it being a different game, but it's expanded. It has all the DLC and some extra stuff. Splatoon Two is is billed as a sequel, although it contains most of what the first game contained and then a bunch of other stuff. ARMS has always been a Switch game, so there isn't really the same impetus to do, like, an expanded version. Most people can just buy ARMS in its originally released form. So if if I'm Nintendo, if I'm Nintendo, I leave it alone for now, because it's in a pretty good place, and we want to, you know, you want to let the competitive circuit develop and whatever, and I, I certainly would not be releasing any major new ARMS stuff between now and when Smash comes out, right? Because they want... In, in that context, it's kind of amazing to think that, I mean, te- technically, ARMS is sort of the Switch flagship, and that it's, like, the first new IP on this system. <laughs> like, yeah, and that, I mean, to me, when the Switch announced it... Because, again, that gives it so much significance, and then I'm so surprised that more people... I, I just that I, that I just didn't hear about it somehow. Yeah, I mean, when the, when the Switch announcement happened, reaction to ARMS specifically was pretty split between what the fuck is this and why isn't it Mario? <laughs> and I love that Nintendo is just making weird shit and putting it out and letting that represent the system because it would have been so easy for them to make. And in fact, they did make kind of a Wii Sports for Switch, the 1-2 Switch thing that just kind of shows off everything the controller can do. Oh, um, okay. But they didn't emphasize it. You know, they they didn't pack it in. Um, they, and I don't know a single person who owns it. Um, <laughs> do you not own it? I do not own it actually. I never did. Oh, pick it up. wow. Yeah. And I, I have a lot of switch games, but I still haven't picked up one, two switch. That's partly Nintendo's weirdness where it's like, I don't think it's ever been on sale. Uh, like at like a oh, discount. Oh yeah. Um, if you know, if it if it were if it were cheap, if it were like real cheap, if it were ten bucks, I would buy it without hesitation. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it won't be for quite a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like. You know, I I really like that part of Nintendo's strategy is just to continue to be weird. And they release even weirder games for, like, the 3DS still. There's, like, a weird post-apocalyptic, like, anthropomorphic animal thing that they put out. There's a new WarioWare game for 3DS. You know what I mean? Like, there's always been space in Nintendo for weirdness in the margins, uh, you know, worldwide, but especially, especially in Japan. And some of the best of that weird stuff comes here. I'm glad we've we've gotten all the Rhythm Heaven games, uh, Mm -hmm. or, or almost all of them. Um, at least the remix, which you know is the remix contains the, most of the yeah, games most from of the, games, the only yeah. one that had to come out here, which was the original for Advance. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't know. Like, does Arms have a future? 
Um, I I still you know when when a party crash happens, uh, one of those events where it's like, you know, uh, it splits the player base into teams and and features a couple of characters and you just like play online. There's always plenty of people playing, you know, like I imagine that'll stay true at least for another. I don't know how long. I mean, like I get so. OK, there's one more thing we haven't talked about. And my rambling non-sentence has led us there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're talking in August, uh, you know, as of mid-September, you're going to have to pay to play uh, Switch games online. You're going to need a subscription, right? Oh, it's not I expensive. Forgot about it's not expensive. It's twenty bucks for a year for an individual, or thirty-five bucks for an eight-person family. Uh, I'm certain that groups of friends will not just do the family thing and go in <laughs> together. I'm especially certain that ours won't. Uh, but but is that enough of a barrier of entry or barrier to entry that you're going to see fewer people playing stuff like Arms? That like if they if you already if you own it and uh, and it has an online mode, yeah, whatever, I'll fire it up. But I, I don't know that very many people are going to get that subscription for ARMS, right? They're going to be getting it for Smash Brothers or the Dark Souls right. remake when it yeah. finally comes out or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I, I, I mean, yeah, I asked that question because I love ARMS. I guess we can kind of uh, start kind of surmising what we were talking about. Like, yeah, to me, ARMS is very much a fighting game. Uh, it really satisfies all of those impulses that I have when I play a fighting game, like the same way that I told you I'm sort of compelled to just, if I don't have anything to play, but I want to play a video game, uh, odds are I go to a fighting game. That's sort of just always been my default, whether it's, you know, in in the modern era now, it's kind of like, you know, you can just play competitive online. When I was younger, it would just be to, you know, go through the arcade because at least that way I'm keeping myself sharp or, you know, honing my skills, uh, as it were, getting good. Um, yeah, it's very much a fighting game. It, it's it's a different kind of fighting game, which I really like. I haven't, um, what I haven't done yet is seen, other than you, if anyone else I know who is sort of into the same kinds of games that I'm into, like Street Fighter and Tekken and um, so forth, if they would enjoy it. But for me, I just really like how lighthearted and gorgeous the aesthetics are it's super colorful everything pops i mean you know the color palettes are so great for each of the characters and, and it's a cohesive reality you know yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll be albeit extensively <laughs> surreal yeah <laughs> um and so yeah i think it's a really good game i'm 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 hoping that maybe it's like a late bloomer that maybe it'll be one of those gems that people discover later maybe that game will go on sale one day maybe there will be a sequel and maybe even if the changes aren't substantial enough to you know bring it from i don't know street fighter 2 to street fighter 3 um maybe it's it'll be like you know more akin to like street fighter you know 2 to street fighter 2 turbo or whatever um i i hope that interest doesn't just stay on the game but that it grows because to me the game has a lot of potential and i i the only reason i could think that people wouldn't like it is because they're they're maybe maybe dismissing it as as too simple and I, and maybe they're you know people aren't doing the the sort of they aren't connecting the logical dots that says like you know this is not really any less simple than a a normal fighting game it's just a different set of tools you know like um 
I don't know, I'm sort of rambling, but I'm just trying to kind of trying to cover everything we talked about a little bit, especially because I did want the focus to be on arms. I really, really enjoyed the game. I mean, you got to see firsthand how excited I was about it and how much it kind of grabbed me. And I really couldn't remember the last time a particular game in a uh, in one era, like, kind of genre grabbed me so fully. I like the, you know, the feel of Destiny 2. And if that's something we ever decide to talk about later, that's like a whole can of worms. But, you know, the entire game didn't grab me. It's just fun to play. But ARMS, kind of from the ground up, everything about it, it's just really, really cool. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it plays really well. It's definitely new, which I really, really appreciate. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't really know how much more to praise it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, the reason we're doing this, you know, well, well, well after release and, and without any, like, particular recent DLC to talk about even. Like, this is not, this is like an ice cold take. This is not a hot take, right? The reason that we think it's worthwhile is like this is a game that I think a lot more people would enjoy than have tried. You know, like yeah, I'm talking about how like yeah. we've we've had the experience of of going over to friends' houses and having them say, "Hey, let's play Switch." Absolutely, no one has ever said, "Hey, let's play Arms." And in fact, you know, if I say, "Well, is this game Arms?" and you're you've got Super Extendo Arms and you're in a circle, they go, "That sounds kind of strange." And I'm not, I don't really know fighting games. It's in this weird space where people who are really into fighting games think it looks too simple, like you said, and people who are not thinks it. It, you know, they, it looks very esoteric to them, I guess, in a weird way. Or it, yeah, you know. And then, and then there's the people who were like, "Well, I have a Nintendo system. I'm just waiting for Smash Brothers." <laughs> so it fell into these weird cracks. <laughs> yeah. And I think it was kind of a cool, bold, smart thing to release at launch when the online service is still free and and you know and and there are relatively because because now you're drowning in amazing games for Switch, especially if you start thinking about indie games. Mm-hmm. At, the, at the time, you know, like I mean, I know what even when I got a Switch, which wasn't right at launch. Uh, you know, there wasn't that much to download, <laughs> you know what I mean, really? Um, certainly first-party stuff. So it, it felt right to take a chance on it to have kind of like a multiplayer showpiece. So, yeah, yeah. I, I do think it, it runs the risk of falling through the cracks now that there's just so much good stuff to play on the system. But I do hope it has a life. Um, it has been discounted once or twice, but, like, Nintendo amounts, you know, not not a deep, deep discount. Two dollars. <laughs> I think it, I think there may have been, well, Europe gets better sales than we do. I think it's been, like, 30% off there or something a couple times. Good um, lord. Yeah, yeah. So, hopefully, Nintendo... I mean, like, this is the question, right? Like, the industry really wants people to keep playing games forever. Uh and, and Nintendo has been kind of ethical and chill about keeping you playing for a while by just, like, putting new stuff in it continually. But, you well, know, you... not just video games, but, like, most most mediums are, like, kind of that people seem to, like, I mean, it's a really it's a two-handed thing. People, on the one hand, are really wanting new, weird, interesting ideas, but then the show-up isn't that, that compelling, which is unfortunate because, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how you reconcile those two things where people want something new, but then don't. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, I mean, because like it, it, the attachment thing, right? Like if if everyone in the world, like it hits a saturation point, right? So like what is the ideal scenario as far as someone playing your game forever? Everyone finds realistically one to three games that they play forever. Well, then those people are done playing other games. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like you can't, yeah. you can't keep, you can't crave new things and also have. You can have a, you can have games you go back to. This is the rhythm that I'm in that I've that I found kind of interesting, right? Like I fire up Splatoon two, I fire up Arms every so often. Like genuinely, as long as I've had my Switch, I there's never been a time that I've played them every day, and there's never been a time where I didn't play them for let's say like two months. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
I have no problem with that, but I, I do get the impression that a lot of people who are, you know, busy, uh, not that I'm not busy, right? But like, I, I make a lot of time for games because I'm a weirdo and I like them. Uh, you know, your average person's just not going to do that. You know, they're going to pick their lane and, and, and stick in it. And you have to expect that they're not going to stick with the same one forever unless they're, you know, trying to be a competitive player in that space. I realize what I want, and this is just sort of me yelling into the void because I don't think it'll happen, but I would love it if ARMS came at a really heavily discounted price when people buy Smash Brothers uh, Ultimate. Because mm. I, 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 you know what's funny? I'm thinking now, because like you said, the, 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 the beauty of the Switch as a system is that the, it's really the library that's on the go. And I mean, obviously, it, you know, it's limited... Um, um, a hard drive space when you buy it out of the box, but you know I'm assuming most people are going to buy uh, an SD card, and at that point you can have this great library. And so I think I think there's I would think that the smart move on Nintendo's end, if Arms is going to have a future, um, which I'd like to see, is for them to sort of maybe try to build a new model, not necessarily uh, different from Evo, but maybe like in addition to where there's sort of this. I'm trying to think of the right word, maybe like the sort of uniformity in their fighting games, like maybe arms smash brothers ultimate and maybe something else so that there's like, you know, this, this sense of um, community across all switch fighting games. I think that would bring people into arms. You know what I mean? If, if there was sort of this introductory period where it's like, Hey, are you buying smash ultimate? You should try this game at, you know, for, I don't know if you buy smash ultimate, you get, arms for 10 bucks or you know yeah, like pre-order smash ultimate now way ahead of time and get arms for cheap or something or, or even free yeah if but, they're yeah if they but, want to be gutsy then even even free yeah then then you know the people who bought it last week are pissed off there's no way to win in this scenario <laughs> completely, you know. uh but i mean but if the game has life then maybe the people who do that um get the next dlc free or maybe you know i i don't know i don't know i mean i i obviously everything is more complicated now than it used to be but um yeah, I think if somehow there was a way to make the two and like I said, maybe anything else more just just that versus dynamic. I don't know. Maybe even Splatoon 2 could be a part of it. I mean, obviously for Splatoon 2 is not a fighting game in this in the sense that we're talking about, but it's a versus game. You know, it's yeah, oh yeah, and Nintendo versus um, covers it too, and there are championships and, and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's I an don't e- know. it's it's played like an esport in some circles. Yeah. But something like that, maybe I'd like to see that where because because Nintendo has that advantage, right? Because all the games are developed in house. So, you know, they don't necessarily need Evo the way like Namco and Capcom. And um, I, I forget what Ar- is Arc System still Arc Systems or are they new? Um, no, they're still like, the Arc System Works or something. It's, yeah, Arc System roughly. Works. Yeah, OK. Thing, yeah. yeah. You know, they, they're all under Evo, but maybe Nintendo could be under its own. I don't know, man. I just, I just, I, it, I, I think that, I think that Arms is too good of an IP to just kind of let die, because yeah, it, well, so, it was such a, it was such a punch in the face and like, or punch in the gut, I should say, in the right way. Like it was just really cool and refreshing. I'm, I mean, this, so this ties in a little bit to the, you know, uh, I, I did an interview uh, in the previous episode with uh, the develop, one of the developers of Full Metal Furies. And that is a, an indie game that completely flew under the radar. And when we played it, we were, you know, we were just blown if, away. If anyone is listening to this and didn't play that or didn't hear that previous podcast, by the way, please go buy and play Full Metal Furies because that game is another one that just flipped the genre on its head in the best way. It's a it's a beat 'em up size world. I'm I'm really sorry to if I'm uh, <laughs> if I'm plugging, but it's just it's such a good game. And I mean, we live in a capitalist society, so like 
you know, you have to pay for what you want more of. It's just the kind of the way it works. So that's it, right? Like the voting with your wallet thing, right? Like it's what we're talking about is that bizarre feeling when you discover something you really love that's that's, you know, that it exists and it got made. But it didn't really like you. You have this weird sense of paranoia that if you don't shout it from the mountaintops, you're never going to see its like again, or that yeah. the people who put it out <laughs> are going to are going to receive the message that no one cares about it, or or something. Right? It's this yeah. weird late capitalism paranoia thing. Uh, one thing you can do is make a podcast about the things you like. Uh, but the, <laughs> but you know that's that's not a solution that scales to everybody, obviously, right? Like it's it's a really strange feeling. To, you know, it's a good problem in a way, right? For there to be so many amazing things out there that there's no way people are going to make time for them all. But it's also, it's it's weird. It's it's very strange to see this thing that you like and, and worry that it might die on the vine in some sense. And, you know, ARMS yeah. has already been a hit from a commercial perspective, and it's already got, you know, a fan base. Oh, good. Okay. Somehow we didn't lead with that. I don't know how we missed that, but that <laughs> actually puts a lot of my... My anxiety at bay. So I don't have the sales numbers in front of me, but yeah, it, it from my understanding is it did it did well, right? It wasn't like a mega hit, but it you know it it more than made the money they were thinking it would make, mm-hmm. especially over the life of the release, right? Like it didn't have like a massive launch week, but I guess enough people said, oh, they added another character. I guess I guess Arms is still a thing, or, or you know, or whatever <laughs> that you know it it yeah. uh, it did fine over enough time, um, and especially. I don't know how the numbers break down, actually, like physically versus digitally, but it's it's easy enough to just keep stuff on your digital shelves, so to speak, um, yeah. not having to, you know, you know, ship a bajillion copies or anything. Um, there's there's a lot of interesting cases with that recently with Switch. I mean, like uh, Square Enix put out a project Octopath Traveler or it's just called Octopath Traveler now. And they're like having a hard time keeping as many physical copies on the shelves as people want to buy. Yeah, uh, th- which <laughs> which is, you know. That, that's probably a topic for another day. Um, yeah, I was gonna say we're getting to about two hours. I don't do we do we need to cover anything else? Or? I think we're pretty good. I think we're pretty good. Um, so my message, folks, would be if you like uh, <laughs> light surrealist, lighthearted body horror, uh, fighting <laughs> games, uh, multiplayer, uh, uh, you know, twenties style bobbing noodle arm animation. Uh, any of the above, and especially if you like all of the above, ARMS is for sure worth a look. So if you are one of the many, many people that has a Switch, uh, and this one kind of flew under your radar, it's totally worth checking out. It's an interesting piece of design, and it re- it, it represents the experimental, wild-ass side of Nintendo that I have always really valued, but that I think, you know, you could play every major Mario, uh, uh, except Odyssey, Zelda, except Breath of the Wild... Uh, Etc. And never quite see the side of Nintendo. So it's it's an, it's a really cool thing to be able to see on full display like that. Yeah, and as a fighting game enthusiast, I would also highly encourage anyone who is also a fighting game enthusiast to play it. Um, if you're more into the competitive scene, I don't know that it's going to actually tickle your fancy that much. There are a lot of maybe arguably superfluous modes, um, especially in the arcade, like uh, you know the hoops. Um, uh, Although for the targets and uh, there, you know, once you unlock ranked battles, um, that shit gets pretty intense. The online ranked oh, right, battle right. thing, like right. the, those, those you will you will face people who take arms seriously, and if you have not taken arms seriously up to that point, you will you will learn whether you plan to <laughs> in that moment. <laughs> and that was going to be my next lead-in, so thank you very much for that. <laughs> we think as one, man. Yes, exactly. No, I was going to say, yeah, it, it definitely has a really cool um, learning curve, like uh, like like Drew was saying. It, it it really does give you the basic toolkits. It's sort of, I mean, you know, you can draw a lot of parallels between a lot of different different Nintendo titles and in the same way that you kind of go in having everything you need in Breath of the Wild 
So here too, you don't necessarily need to look up moves. I mean, you don't, period. But you can look up different um, strategies. You can look up different um, character traits. Like I said, there's special moves, etc. But what it's really going to come down to, which is one of the things I think is great about the game, is the characters that you like and how it feels. It's just, it's a real joy. I, I think that... Like I said, if you're a fighting game enthusiast, try it out. Especially if you did enjoy, uh, in the old days, those, like I said, super punch-out um, kind of boxing games where it was really more about timing and uh, kind of the joy of the back and forth. Amen to that. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you want to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so on, well, actually, a small announcement, right? Uh, all the old etao.wordpress.com uh, links still work, but we also got a fancy new top-level domain, so you can find us at etao.blog. Uh, the podcast lives there. All the writing lives there. Uh, additionally, we're still on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, if it's called that now. Google Play Podcast or just Google Podcast, if it's called that now. Uh, Podbay, Stitcher, etc. We're on. We're on everything, basically. Basically. Anything with RSS, you can find us there. Um, I can't think of a single place we are not. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fact. Uh, additionally, if you wake up one morning and you find that your arms have become monstrosities and are noodle-like, uh, if you enter a league of fighters who are likewise mutated and you win, your prize will be this podcast. Failing exactly. that, failing that, you can find it at etao.blog. Have a good day, everybody. Thank you. And may the arms be with you.